Welcome to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to educating and empowering men to address erectile dysfunction, improve confidence, and enhance the satisfaction in their relationships. This podcast is brought to you by ErectionIQ.com. Learn more at ErectionIQ.com. Welcome to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. I am Mark Goldberg, Certified Sex Therapist. I am deeply passionate about working with men like you to help resolve their ED. Hi, we are back with another episode of the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. I am Mark Goldberg, Certified Sex Therapist and the host. We are joined today by Dr. Catherine Kloss. Dr. Kloss is a board-certified urologist who has developed a practice focusing on pelvic floor dysfunction. Dr. Kloss completed her medical degree at the University of Alabama and her urology training at George Washington University in Washington, D.C. Dr. Kloss takes a compassionate, comprehensive, and integrative approach to her patients in order to achieve the best outcomes. She values taking time to establish a trusting and lasting doctor-patient relationship. In her free time, you can find Dr. Kloss spending time outdoors with her three children. Dr. Kloss, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me, Mark. I'm excited to be here. Okay, so what I think we want to understand today is the anatomy that goes into the erection. So we want to understand um, the penis, what comprises the erection at that level. And then what I would hope to do is be able to kind of work our way up the body, hopefully going up the spine, all the way up into the mind. So we can really better understand some of the physiological components when we talk about this mind-body connection. So to get us started, can you give us an overview of just the anatomy of an erection? Great. Um, this is the easy part because the rest after this becomes much more complex. Um, and I'm going to apologize to your audience that talk with my hands a lot, but the, (laughs) the best way to describe a penis is to think about it like a sausage. All right. Um, the sausage has a casing and there's material inside. And I will give this analogy to my patients every day. Um, while it's not one cylinder, I like to think of the penis as three cylinders, there are two that are components, uh, the, the primary components for your erection. And then the third cylinder is the one that carries your urethra. So you can urinate and obviously you can ejaculate. And all three play an important role in, in achieving an erection and achieving orgasm and achieving ejaculation. Um, it's hard without having a, uh, a picture in front of me, but one thing I think men and women, everyone should know is that yes, the the penis extends from the from the exposed portion. We know what the glands or the head of the penis looks like. We know what the shaft or the phallus looks like. But the two corporal corporal excuse me bodies, which um, are primarily important for expansion and for erection, extend from the head or the tip of the penis. They're kind of underneath that all the way down to the bones in kind of your, your bum, you know? So you sit down, you feel those bones, the corporal bodies extend from the tip of the penis all the way down. That's why a lot of guys will get stimulation from uh, posterior scrotal pressure or vibration because the bodies of the shaft of the penis, not only are those that are, you know, kind of in the traditional shaft, but extend down below. So you've got those two, fancily called corporal cavernosa. And then the third component of this sausage-like sphere uh, cylinder that we're talking about 
um, is the corpus spongiosum. And in that, there's a, a small amount of erectile tissue. And the the top of that corporal spongiosis is actually the glands of the penis. So you've got the head of the penis, which is one one part connected to the urethra, and then these two bodies that extend from the underneath of the glands all the way down to kind of your your bum bones. That's the the very basic portion of penile anatomy. What what doesn't make sense about that? So it all makes sense. So so. How does that all connect, though? How does that work to create an erection? In other words, when it, when a man is getting an erection at that level, what is what is happening with those parts? Love that question. Okay, so in a flaccid state, all right. So when the penis penis is not erect, you actually have contraction, a, a small amount of contraction of the blood vessels within the these you know corpus spongiosum and corpus cavernosum. All right. So you have some contraction, which limits or controls the blood flow that goes to them. Um, we will talk about all of the different things, in, in, I'm sure, um, that can initiate an increase in blood flow to this area. But let me let me skip ahead from that and talk about what happens when you get an erection. So when you get an erection, you actually get dilation or opening a relaxation of these blood vessels. All right. With that relaxation of our arteries, all right? So again, we're talking this smooth muscle within the arteries. You're relaxing. You get an increased amount of blood that's coming into the penis. Now, that's great. We all love that. But just as important as the relaxation and the blood that's coming in is the constriction of the blood that's coming out, all right? So you want to have the blood there, but you need it to stay. And, and thank goodness our bodies are designed in an amazing fashion with the relaxation or opening of these blood vessels, the arteries. So again, arteries, blood is going to something, blood is going to the penis. With the expansion of those arteries, you get contraction of the, the veins and the veins are the things that move the blood out of whatever organ it is. In this instance, it's the penis. So in an erection, dilation of the arteries and that dilation compresses these veins on the outside so that the blood stays there all right so blood blood is going in but it's not going out or i should say blood is going in at a higher rate than Correct. it's going yes you you gave the perfect descriptor blood is going in at a higher rate it is coming out at a much slower rate to as a as a side note in a flaccid penis, is there blood flowing through as well, or does this only happen with an erection? Great question. A hundred percent there is blood flowing through. And we can have a separate podcast about the guy who put a rubber band around his penis and didn't have blood flowing through it. Um, that was a bad outcome. But in a normal flaccid state, yes, there's there's plenty of blood going in and out. Um, but it's not at the it, as you mentioned, it's not at the high velocity. It's not at this, um, you know, increased amount that we get with an erect penis. Okay. And one of the nuances of a penis, which is amazing design, is we talked about there are these two main bodies, these corporal cavernous that fill with blood. And that's because of this arterial expansion. And it, you know, the veins compress, we keep blood in there. But if, 
if that were the only thing going on, what would happen to your urethra, so the tube where your ejaculate comes out of, is it would compress it as well because it's a very thin muscular tube. So thanks to a wonderful design, it also has a very small amount of erectile tissue around it that will expand to keep the urethra open to allow for ejaculation during an erection, all right? Because if you just had the expansion of these two large corporal bodies, what would happen is that your urethra would close off and you wouldn't be able to ejaculate. And we It's almost all- like an airbag for the urethra. <laughs> I love that. I've never heard that. But yes, 100%. Uh, you know, in so many of our things in medicine, I rely on the notion of we are all primitive beings and we all have, you know, very basic needs. And really the basic need is procreation. And thankfully to that, we've got this second component that allows for preservation of the opening of the urethra during an erection state. Otherwise, the pressure would be too high and that urethra would close off. Yes. Okay. So from a penis standpoint, when an erection is not happening, either a you know, person is struggling to gain or maintain an erection, we're generally looking at this or conceptualizing this as a blood flow issue. Certainly at the, at the now level. Is that correct? You are completely correct. Now, there are so many more components, which I'm sure we'll, we'll dive into that can contribute to that. But yes, the mainstay of an erection is blood flow to the penis. And again, that blood flow can be triggered or affected by um, nerve response or the ability to expand and contract of the vessels. Um, or plenty of other um, we call supratentorial or, or uh, neurologic brain issues. Um, but the primary mode of action or mechanism of an erection is the very basic blood flow to the penis. Yeah. So from that penile level, it basically means either there's not enough blood flow going in or there's too much blood going out. Um, there may be a whole, whole series of causes for that, some of them at the anatomical level, the penis, but there could be other areas as we move our way up the body to kind of learn what makes the erection happen, and subsequently what might be contributing to the erection not like, happening in the first place or not being maintained. Completely correct. Okay. Now I'm going to ask a side question here that um, you know has come up in the past. I think it'd be important to just get your opinion on this. Is there an increased nerve sensitivity? in an erect penis as compared to a flaccid penis? And how exactly would that work if that is the case? And this has not been well studied. So this is kind of a data-free zone. All right. I love data. And this is definitely a data-free zone. Um, There's no change in nerve fibers from a flaccid state to an erect state. All right. You have that number of nerve fibers there, whether you've got an erection or not. You're not generating new nerves with an erection. Okay. So that, that basic portion of anatomy is, does not change. Now, what does change is what those nerves are doing. Okay. And this kind of goes back to very uh, basic for, for me, you know, med school, like year three. Um, but the, the, of those nerves does change with stimulation. So you've got nerves that are dealing with sensation, 
you got nerves that are dealing with proprioception or where you are in time and space, you know, am I, do I feel my penis? Do I not feel my penis? Um, you know, just from a location standpoint. And then you add on to that the notion of uh, excitability and the neurotransmitters and not to get too much into the weeds will change or increase based on stimulation. So the nerve fibers themselves are exactly the same. We are not regenerating or losing them from a flaccid to an erectile, from an erection state. But what is changing is what they're doing. Got it. It's a question that's come up um, you know, in the, in the past, and I wanted to at least just get a little bit more clarity on that. Yeah. So if we're kind of moving up the body, so... You know, just you know, basics, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but you know, our brain sends signals that that you know run you know throughout the body, but the spine is like the main delivery artery, so to speak, not an actual artery, but it's the main channel from where those signals go, and oftentimes spread to other areas of the body. Now, what is the role of those, like that system, in the erection process? That's a great question, and. It, there's a, I mean, a very primary role of those nerve fibers. As you said, they're, we'll call it afferent. So that means they go to the brain. So there are fibers that are from nerves that you're conscious of. Okay. So your outside sensation, knowing, and then kind of your subconscious. They both worked together when stimulated. And again, at, at this level of the nerves, we're talking about afferent, right? We're not talking about anything that's going on up here. We're just talking from a direct stimulation. There's sensation that is happening at the level of the penis, all right? We're not talking about anything mental. And that triggers a spinal reflex. And that spinal reflex initiates an erection, okay? So we're talking about direct stimulation. There's no supertentorial aspect of it. And it initiates a reflex, a spinal reflex. So you want your spinal cord to be intact. Um, that will produce an erection. Okay. So that is, um, I hope that answers your question, but a very basic, like, yeah. So I'm just going to qualify, yep. but it sounds, it sounds like what you're saying is the uh, physical stimulation side on the penis would, you know, potentially not have to make it up to the brain, but that sensation would, trigger things just up the spine and back down theoretically or not theoretically maybe actually <laughs> completely yes. correct that's why patients who have a spinal cord injury can still get an erection based on you know their responsiveness to vibration or other stimuli okay fascinating so so i know we don't want to get too far into the weeds but you know, when we're talking about challenges with an erection like you think there could be issues in like the the nerve fibers in the spine that are just not signaling properly down to the penis you are correct that is a that is the rare patient okay so that is the patient who has a neurologic disorder that's a patient who's got a spinal cord injury that's a patient who's got a um, an S or another uh, typically identifiable neurologic disease that is impacting the communication from an, an organ like the penis up to the spine or the brain. Um, the, those nerve fibers um, in the majority of patients 
are not everybody, but the majority of patients are intact. And the other components to the erection, which we'll hopefully talk about supertentorial and the vascular components are the ones that are uh, more primarily responsible for inability to achieve or maintain an erection. In other words, you say it's rare. It's rare that the the issue is stemming from the, that, like the spine or the fibers that are running along the spine. Completely correct. Yes. Okay. Now, a- another you know side question here. So um, you know we've covered <laughs> we've covered um, you know the different treatments for erectile dysfunction, and we've spoken about the difference between injections and oral medications. Mm-hmm. Now, the injections from you know my understanding seem to work at a um much more reliable rate mm-hmm. and seem to be very much disconnected from what is being thought about in the moments whereas the oral medications do require some you know type of stimulation you know primarily in the desire range or or you know even physical stimulation to get them going um, does that play into this conversation here about like the you know what what is being stimulated? In other words, does the does the injection stimulate some kind of signaling up to the up to the um, spine and then back, or is it making its way all the way up to the brain? And this is a great question. Um, I wish more of my patients asked this question. So the injections work really well because they work locally, all right? So they work in the penis. And we are able to, through the injections, typically give a combination of medication. Most commonly, I use a, a, a version of what's called Trimix. has three medications in it. They work differently. There are different varieties of Trimix. There are different varieties of injectable medications, but they work locally. So there is not a communication up to the brain. They're not feeding the spinal cord. They're not initiating any reflex. They're working locally to improve the relaxation. Because again, that's really the workhorse of an erection. The relaxation of these smooth muscle fibers within this these two really you know important corporate cavernosa. Um, and they do that in a combination of ways. So Trimix, the, again, is the most common injectable that we use. It has three components, this L-prostadil, papaverin, and pentolamine. Together, they work really well to achieve smooth muscle relaxation, which dilates your arteries, all right? And then that dilation of the arteries constricts the, constricts the veins. And then there's other components that help um, maintain that state. All right. So not only we're initiating the relaxation, but we're maintaining it. And because you're injecting the medication directly into the area where you want, all right. And I said at the beginning, there are these two structures, right? And, you know, someone who's never done an injectable and there's no reason that they, they would know this. Um, you don't have to do both sides. Okay. Both sides are connected by a porous membrane. So we inject in one side communicates to the other. We've got these two bodies then that are able to, again, expand and dilate and maintain that dilation. That's obviously a, a very important component for a lot of patients. Hey, I can get an erection. I can't keep the erection. So anything like the Trimix is great, but it is entirely tire, local, all right, which is 
wonderful from a side effect profile. So if you've got a guy who's on, you know, something that would um, not allow him to take Viagra, Cialis, Levitra. So the main one is a nitrous or angina, so for, for chest pain. Um, you feel very comfortable giving them an injectable because it's just localized to the penis. Okay. Uh, does that make sense before I dive into what the difference is between that and the oral medication? So that, that was going to be my follow-up question. So if they're both working locally, I think it'd be really helpful for myself and the listeners to understand why the oral medications seem to be impacted by um, you know, desire, arousal, they need some kind of stimulation, whereas these injectables um, are supposed to um, kind of start fast yeah. acting without. You are yeah. totally cor- correct. So, um, oral medication, uh, commonly referred to PD five inhibitors. All right. So again, this is getting cellular. This is um, this is microbiology. You know, whatever. I can't even remember what the class was, but it is important. And what the oral medication does is inhibits the breakdown of a substance that um, if the substance was broken down would allow, would prohibit, excuse me, um, the continued dilation of those vessels, right? So what has to happen is those vessels have to be dilated first to get the prohibition of relaxation. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm going to see if I can bring this down to like my level. Bring it down it, to no, no. And you can tell me if this if this is somewhat accurate. But there, there is something floating around, probably in other areas of the body as well, called PDE. Mm-hmm. This is PDE five, and when it is present, it will remove other components that are going to facilitate the dilation. So if they are inhibited, meaning they are removed or they are unable to act. If there is a reason for dilation in the penis, then they will not be able to remove, right? Without yes. the initial stimulation, there's no reason for the dilation right. to start. So, 100%. The PD5 inhibitors are not dilating your penis, okay? In the instance of the trimix, that's what we're doing. We're, we're dilating and we're keeping it there and all of those good things. Yeah. With the PD5 inhibitors, you have to have the dilation first otherwise we're not doing anything but once you have the dilation the medication actually works to block contraction but that contraction is what gives you a relaxed penis or a flaccid penis is the uh chemical compound that that it is blocking is that no so no it's not it's um it's blocking phosphodiesterase which uh, does not allow for cyclic gmp conversion um, but to your point, nitric, nitrous oxide, so big NO, just as you said, I mean, I wish it was, was no, um, activates this conversion of this wonderful molecule, CGMP, right? And then we want CGMP to be in a certain state. So nitric oxide allows CGMP to be in a certain state. And then your PD5 inhibitors try to keep that CGMP in that state. Okay. So obviously it's, it's very complex. I'm going to keep it down again at this basic level. There's so much confusion at the, at, at, at the user level. Like, why do I need stimulation? Or I took this pill. Why isn't it working? So I think to understand right. that basic difference that you're inhibiting 
what will prevent an erection when there is stimulation. So you still need the stimulation. This is just going to help it along once it gets started. You've got to get the stimulation to start the erection to keep it there. Okay. And even with us, and so guys will say to me, well, then why does it work, you know, when before I couldn't get an erection, you know, even with stimulation and now with stimulation, I I can get an erection. Didn't you just, didn't you tell me I had to have an erection first to, to maintain, only to maintain it? And I totally get that. And that's like a completely valid question, but still with any amount of stimulation, all right? you're going to get this initial cascade of response or for most guys. All right. You're going to get this initial cascade and what the oral medication. So your Igoris, Cialis, Levitra is doing is sustaining that small response. Okay. So that additional stimulation may add on and give you an, an extended response so that you're getting a better erection with stimulation without, you know, without changing the mechanism of how, you know, things are stimulated. We're still relying Under on that initial, it. only that initial catalyst and we needed to continue. Yes, exactly. Yep. The process. Okay. Exactly. Now let's compare that for a moment to ICI, which again is also a localized yes. treatment. I'm going to go ahead and just make the assumption that it must not be acting on an inhibitor. It must be circumventing the whole process. So can you please explain that? Yep. So there are different components to that. I, I love that you used ICI. So ICI stands for intracavernosal injection. So these lovely things that I'm talking about that go from the tip of the penis to your bum bone. Um, those are cavernosa, intracavernosal injection, ICI. So um, you're completely correct. Those medications initiate smooth muscle relaxation, right? And that's what we need to get an erection, which is why it's very different from the Vigrasialis levitra in that that needs that initial stimulation to allow the smooth muscle relaxation to occur and then sustain it. In the in the ICI situation, what we're doing in the Trimex and the, you know, um, Alprostadil and the EDEX is we're initiating the relaxation through smooth muscle, you know, through how the components work in the smooth muscle. Okay. But both of these are are localized. And what I'm gathering from that is that none of the at least commercially available and mainstream treatments are acting at that spine level or in that like perfect mobile system. Um, These these treatments are acting at a, at a localized level. Correct. So the ICI is a hundred percent local. All right. So that, like I said, they don't worry about the side effects. They don't worry about anything else. Um, When you're talking about PD5 inhibitors, obviously you're taking them by mouth. So they're the effects will, you know, um, go through your body and, Different patients have different side effects, and that is so specific. It is it's the same thing as me having brown hair. You know, we all have a different number of uh, subreceptors, and while Vigrasialis levitra are more specific to the smooth muscle fibers within the penis, you do get crossovers in other areas. So, and again, Viagra was designed for pulmonary hypertension, and there are you know little old ladies who get you know, 20 milligrams of Viagra twice a day to treat their pulmonary hypertension. Um, but because you're taking it orally, it doesn't, uh, yes, it, it primarily is localized to the penis, but you've got to think about those side effects. And the most common side effects we, we hear about um, are flushing, all right? Because what are we doing? 
we're dilating, you know, we're, we're causing these, we're hitting those receptors and there's a little bit of dilation there and boom, you've got more. Uh, that's one of the main ones. And with um, the other ones that a lot of guys, you know, will get this medication, which is great. And I'm hundred percent import in support of sex and better sex. But one of the things that is not always mentioned is you can get heartburn with this. And again, that's from dilation of blood vessels uh, in your in your esophagus, in your uh, in your stomach, and they feel like they're having a heart attack. And so they think about, oh my gosh, Viagra is going to give me a heart attack because I know I've got this one thing. I can't take Viagra. And now I'm having a heart attack. Yes, I'm sure that's really great for the anxiety that oftentimes is preventing these erections. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so, so I, I didn't even go too much on a tangent, which I did. If, I, if I'm I, if I'm hearing if I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying that we talk about like localized, localized, meaning that the 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 medication is really just staying put where it is. That would be the ICI. That's the injection. Yeah, exactly. The, the mechanism here by the PD for the for the PD five inhibitor is still it it's working in the penis. It's not doing anything to signal from a different location right. like the spine or yes. the brain. But because you're taking it orally, it will act on receptors and other areas of the body, creating some of the more well-known side effects um, that that men experience, or some men do experience, with you know flushing or heartburn. Or you know, I've heard of patients having um, headaches the next day for some of them. So I think it's probably different. I'm sure you can read the label and get all of that. But the idea here is and, that- and it's 600 other things. Uh, uh, no doubt, no doubt, because there's a lot of receptors where these the medications could be having having an effect. Okay, right. Try to I try to make sure that I'm understanding because I think it's also just important for the listeners to be able to make sense of it as well. Um, so right. I, I think we have a picture here at least of the medications, what it means that they're working locally, and now kind of continuing to work up the body. If we're going, let's say, from the the spine into um, into the brain, what mm-hmm. what's happening at the brain level? Um, that could facilitate an erection or potentially prevent an erection? So I think this to me is one of the most exciting areas of research. And it's one that dropped off dramatically after the discover of these PD-5 inhibitors, which was serendipitous. Again, this is a drug that was uh, being tested for pulmonary hypertension and they found a side effect was, you know, guys were getting an erection. Unfortunately, with that, because there was such amazing responsiveness, which is wonderful, a lot of the other areas that are components of desire and erection um, research fell off. And and that involves a lot of what we call central um, control of an erection. So we talked at length about how, you know, local stimulation will initiate a spinal reflex to induce an erection. But most men have had an instance in their life where there's zero stimulation, you know, going on around the penis. And due to mental arousal, they'll get an erection, right? And we know certain components that will, uh, that come into play for that. We don't know all of the nitty gritty. Okay. So I'm not here to, to give you information that I don't know, but I'm giving you some of the information that I do know. All right. And there are important substances within your brain that help control your response, you know, your arousal and subsequently your erection. So dopamine is 
is one of the, the biggest one that contributes to desire and arousal. And with high levels of dopamine, we know that you have a higher desire at higher arousal. And that typically will translate into, for men, a physiologic response of an erection, right? Mm -hmm. There is not a level I can quote you and say, gosh, if your dopamine is X level, you're definitely going to have an erection or it's this level and it's not. Something that I'm sure you and I both see frequently is serotonin. And serotonin typically, not again, and this goes into a lot of the things that you, you know, we all know, well, you and I know there are certain subtypes and there are certain ways that the serotonin plays in your brain, but um, not to do too much of a generalization, typically serotonin decreases your dopamine, which then decreases your desire and arousal and can impact your erections. Those two are, are I would say the the ones that we know the most about, okay? And then the one that I talk to my patients about a lot, because I think it's really important, and, and there is data to support this, but adrenaline or norepinephrine. And that is a component that, again, I'm not trying to use a broad generalization because someone can pick this apart and say, hey, you said norepinephrine always causes a decreased erection, and that's not always the case, but broadly. Norepinephrine and adrenaline is a substance that is released when you're stressed. Like I said before, we're all just primitive beings. We want our urethra open so that we can preserve our species and continue to copulate. Uh, We are also primitive beings in our biochemical response. Although we're in 2023, we still, our bodies tend to operate like we're in, you know, 23. And I say that because when you're stressed, and I'm not talking about, you know, someone's attacking you. There's not a saber-toothed tiger running after you, all right? 2023 stress is different than, you know, 2023 BC. But because we're so primitive and we haven't really evolved that much, our body responds to stress in the same fashion it did, you know, 20,000 years ago as it does now. And that is with release of cortisol, which releases norepinephrine, which is our adrenaline hormone. And I literally give this explanation all of the time. If you were being chased by a saber-toothed tiger or a bear, would you want to have an erection? Like, absolutely not. Your body's resources are, you know, targeted to, you know, heart, your lungs, like all of these necessary components of your body. Sex, as people would not love to like hear this, but it's a secondary thing. Like it, it, yes, it populates your species, but it's not actively keeping you alive. So, in a you know flight or fight situation, that's the last place you want to put resources to. So, I say all this. Long story long is that when you have a higher stress level, you have a higher level of level of adrenaline or norepinephrine, which can decrease your responsiveness um, or your ability to relax. If you're really looking at the biochemical function, relax the smooth muscles within your penis. So um, it, it, that does not explain by any means, you know, all erectile dysfunction or all components of it. But I think it's a really important perspective to have when you're thinking about 
you know, the your young patient who comes in who's super healthy and works out and has normal lipids and you know no family history, but has you know problems with erections. And the last thing I want to do is you know give a patient make a patient feel like or you know that they're at fault for the condition that that they're coming to see. You know, mm-hmm. no one no one's at fault, but gotta understand where it's coming from and understand that there's really good work that can be done in other areas that will impact this totally what you think of as physical response. Okay. So there's so many things that are coming to mind. I want to, I want to like make sure that I'm understanding and kind of highlight some points here, which is that the the brain is involved both in the excitation part of this through dopamine, which might be regulated through serotonin, um, and it also is potentially involved though in in preventing erections from happening through the adrenaline side, which you know could be something that's stemming from like an anxiety or a fear or a worry because our brain still like process a lot of the things that that might acutely be concerning us as if they are a primal threat to our existence. You're completely correct. That was my like five minute dissertation down in 10 seconds. So, so to that end, um, I want to ask the following question. If the guy's experiencing performance anxiety, is that fair to assume that there is an adrenal release that is signaling to the body to not send blood to the penis? You're correct. Because what's happening is when you have a release of adrenaline or norepinephrine, it's sending a, uh, a message to contract blood vessels. And it's not specific to which blood vessels it's contracting. Okay. And in that realm of what blood vessels are contracting is the penis. And so it's, you know, yes, you may have this afferent stimulation coming from the penis and you're like, okay, we've got this spinal reflex. We're trying to dilate. But then you also have this secondary component of an adrenaline mediated contracture. And so the two are fighting against each other. Um, And again, this is, I wish it were that easy to explain, but I do think you really have to consider both components in it. And I think your uh, your um, analysis or statement was completely on point. Yeah. So so I'm just kind of putting the pieces together here. So I, I think something that might you know make sense is when um, you know a patient comes in and reports that um, with same or similar types of stimulation, and sometimes the variation between the partner that they're with, or sometimes it's a difference between uh, solo stimulation versus being with a partner. When we're talking about the connection between the tactile stimulation and how that doesn't even need to go up to the brain, but really can just go up to the spine and back, it, it would initially seem confusing. Well, why is it working in setting A and not in setting B? But a lot of times the difference maker is anxiety or adrenaline. So it's the same stimulation, but the setting is different. So like, does the brain get involved? I mean, is the brain in the mix here basically all the time? Even, even the tactile stimulation 
that could be over overwritten with with anxiety or that release of adrenaline. I, I would 100% agree with that statement. It's also just interesting to think about that there are many people out there that that regulate their anxiety with SSRIs. So like almost like a bit of a double-edged sword. And we, 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 we've done an episode already on just the, the complexity here of balancing mental wellness and sexual wellness with some of the, again, some of the, the side effects of decreased arousal. I think low desire is one of the well-known side effects of um, the serotonin reuptake inhibitors. I, not to, to digress on that, but I think, and again, every person should see like a medical professional that is engaged in their sexual health. And while we haven't had good research to date on what we call central um, stimulators or uh, central mediators, and I, when I say central, I mean brain, for erections or desire, there are, there, there are, there's medication actually for women out there, I'm sure you know about this, um, that does in, increase dopamine. But that because you have this, you know, the common patient that I see is someone who comes in with the, um, you know, anxiety and is on an SSRI and is like, hey, Dr. Klaus, I'm so thrilled. I finally have my anxiety under control. I can function. I can go to work. I'm not worried about, you know, this or that. But now it takes me, you know, 30 minutes to or 45 minutes to ejaculate and I just feel like my libido isn't great. And we know, we understand better about how the serotonin mediates that responsiveness. There's some new medication out there for women that does increase dopamine and um, with male patients it has been helpful to balance their regulation of serotonin, which helps their overall mood and lets them function throughout life. Um, but in certain instances, boost that dopamine, which will help with desire and arousal. And again, um, medication for women, just, just saying it can be helpful, but again, that it, I'm trying to highlight your, your point of serotonin and dopamine and trying to get the right balance for, um, all aspects of life. You know, um, it's great if you have a wonderful erection and you have great desire, but if you're you know, losing your mind with anxiety and worry about the rest of your life and depression, that, that, that's not going to work for anybody, you know? And so trying to find the balance is really important, uh, for your overall health. That's why sex is so important. Yes. Yeah. It's a very, it's a very, very tricky space. And we, we do encourage our listeners that if they, um, are experiencing sexual side effects with these medications, with, with certainly with, uh, with, um, medications that are designed for anti-anxiety, anti-depression, Certainly, speak with your with you know your provider, your medical team about what can be done. This certainly is a very tricky balance between mental health and sexual health, and they can certainly contribute to each other, both in the negative and the positive. So, all that being said, when we when we talk about psychogenic erectile dysfunction, we're starting to get into the space of what people think, what they feel, what they're experiencing, getting into relationships now. I know this is probably a really complex area, so I'm going to ask just like a broad strokes question, which is... Can I plead the fifth? I'm kidding. Absolutely, you can. <laughs> I mean, it's a space that I, I, I don't feel competent in myself, um, but we established a like an understanding of the mechanisms between what people actually think and feel and the upregulation and downregulation of these neurotransmitters. 
To some extent, yes, but but overall, I would say no. Um, the sexual health has not, while important to almost every individual here, um, has not been well studied. And part of that is, you know, you're going to die of, of heart heart disease. You're going to die of cancer. You're going to, you know, have this, you know, you're in neurovascular dementia that affects your year later in life, et cetera. Sexual health is never going to kill you, all right, which is a good and a bad thing. Um, it it doesn't tend to get the priority in terms of research and um, studies that other aspects of medicine have, have gotten. So I will answer your question, I promise. But so we don't know as much about the interplay of those neurochemicals. We also don't know that much about the brain. All right, let's be completely honest. I feel like this is something you could speak on well, very much better than I could. Um, there's so much about the brain we don't understand. We don't understand how we generate emotion. Is it, you know, secondary to our facial contractions and then that generates the emotion, or is it our emotion that generates the facial contractions? I'm like all of these things. But we do know we need to know some about the interplay of the central neurotransmitters. Okay. But again, we don't have a level. We know that dopamine, we know that acetylcholine, we know that cannabinoids, um, and certain instances, um, serotonin, not often, but uh, testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, men do have estrogen, um, all can improve your desire and arousal, right? And then again, we know that these structures called encaphalins and for the most part, serotonin are inhibitory. So you brought that up before, which was a great example. I was talking all over the place. We have a lot of excitation. We do have some inhibition. We don't know how, we don't understand the entire, the complexity of it. Yes. In the short version. We don't know. Yes. And, 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 and I, I also, you know, feel like someone in the dark, the way I think about this and, you know, after doing this work on the psychogenic end for a number of years at this point, you know, what I, what I tell people that I work with is, mm-hmm. It's kind of like, you know, you're, I look at this like, you know, the train that is going in and out of these tunnels. Now, we know the train gets from the start to the finish, you know, mm-hmm. when we do certain things. So if we change the way you think, which I consider like the, the beginning of the track, so to speak, we understand that the outcomes are different because we see this every day in clinical practice. We see that you know, men come in. And, you know, they've been cleared by their doctor and clear they're having performance anxiety or they're having an excitation issue and working on, you know, the thoughts, the feelings, the relationship components, helping to decrease that anxiety does lead to very different outcomes down the line. I just, I oftentimes feel like, like, I know if we start down this track, I can't tell you exactly where the track is laid all the time, but it is going to look different at the end. Um, so I, I oftentimes think of it that way and I explain it to my patients that way because I don't I don't know what the exact mechanisms are. Glad to hear that it's not something that is well understood, um, exactly clear. But we do we do know and I think like, everybody from their lives is aware that what we think and what we feel has a direct impact on so many areas of our of our physical functioning, but also just our overall well being. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's great. And one of the things that that I just by hearing what you said, thought of um, some of my younger patients will come in and say to me, Hey, you know, I'm having stress, I'm having anxiety. 
um, and I'm not having great erections. And you know, what can I do? I am very quick to say, hey, listen, do you want to try Viagra Cialis Levitra? Which goes back to the point what we talked about at length earlier. And they, uh, they're saying, that's like, I'm just afraid I'm going to get addicted to it. Like I won't be able to have an erection without. And yes, there's this huge mental component. I couldn't agree more. But I do think there's a value in, you know, uh, breaking the cycle and that there's a lot, lot of studies out there again you probably you confidently know them better than i do about the cycle of psychogenic or you know more supertentorial breast health dysfunction and the the viagra cialis levitra from and this is why it's so important to understand what's going on and, and why i don't want to get into the weeds but why i do it's not initiating the erection okay you still have to have that stimulation you still have to have that initial opening. And yes, fire is going to give you a better erection than you had without it because it's chemically sustaining something, but it's not starting it. Okay. And, and so you've got to work on all aspects. It is not going to fix this, you know, but it can help and it can help to sometimes break that cycle. Um, you may say like, I hate that. So the listeners here know that I, I am an and both thinker when it comes to this and the uh, the struggle and I, I think the subsequent like psychological and relational challenges that develop by not breaking that cycle early on can be much more difficult to reverse. So I recognize that for a lot of guys, just getting out of that anxiety loop and regaining some sense of confidence is what they need to start. Now, I, I just caution the people that I work with, which is you, you got to have a game plan after that because yeah. like, you've learned that you're predisposed to mm -hmm. like if you're not managing this, like you're predisposed to that anxiety loop. So you have to assume there's a high probability that something is going to occur somewhere along the line. It's going to come back. So you want to try to get to the bottom of this. So that's why I'm like, a, um, I'm a and both thinker. Uh, but I think certainly over the years, just seeing the power of breaking these anxiety loops earlier and sooner in the process um, has certainly, I think, opened myself up more to that. Yes, take the medication and work on this at the same time. I, I could not agree more because to your, you articulated it perfectly, which is why you've been doing this for a long time. That stress is going to come up again. And if you can't figure out how to manage that stress and anxiety, this is going to be recurrent, which is going to make the loop even worse. And so this is helpful. And I totally agree with you in hopefully breaking that initial loop, but the work's got to go into sustaining your, you know, overall decreased parasympathetic response, you know? Yes. So Dr. Clarkson, I can give you a great example um, that that's, you know, current and active. And I see this a lot. Um, which is like a, you know, a younger patient who's you know, physically healthy but is stuck in one of these anxiety loops, gets on this medication, and then is continuing to focus on performance. So like continues to like say, oh, like it was it was the most solid I could tell. Um, be, like, okay, what did you enjoy about this? Oh, I don't know. I was just you know celebrating that it was working. It's like okay, so this is this is like a continuation of that performance focus, which will become performance anxiety again if the pill is not as effective or if something else isn't going well. 
Um, and it's getting like guys to kind of recognize that you got to shift out of that anxiety loop. Like even if things are working, you got to put that work in to get away from that anxiety and get that dopamine up. So I think we could go on six other podcasts about exactly what you just said, which is the focus on an erect penis and how that is should not be the definition of successful sex, um, especially when you're talking about partner um not to not to overwhelm like this side topic but sexual satisfaction is much higher in couples that have uh, multiple multiple sexual um, aspects of pleasure you know the data shows that 80 85 percent of if we're talking about heterosexual couples um women will only orgasm clitorally all right so your vagina and your clitoris not not getting it um and removing the identity of satisfactory or or good sex with a hard penis has been just just that so like exploring clitoral stimulation or rectal stimulation or perineal stimulation whatever it is if you have more tools in your toolbox if data has shown again this is not this is stuff you know i'm not (laughs) trying to teach you this um, but data has shown that you will have better sexual satisfaction, so even if you took education about that. I think it's so important to realize that that is not the definition of good sex. Just yeah. it's, it's, and, and I think there is a bit of a paradox in it because the de-emphasis of the role of the erection, what I've seen anecdotally in my practice, leads to much better erections. They're just not as important. In other words, like the de-emphasis of it and not like focusing so much in performance anxiety and putting so much pressure on that process actually leads to better erections. Of course, you can't let that become the focus. You can't out you can't outsmart your own mind. So you can't say, okay, I won't focus on it. Wink wink. It never will work. Um, so that's that's you know kind of a paradox that we see, you know, guys getting stuck in all the time. Uh, but by by de-emphasizing that role and again having those additional like channels for pleasure and having multiple options. Um, does seem to be something that is really, really powerful. Um, Dr. Klaus, this has been like fantastic. I know we can go on. Like I, I can nerd on, out on these topics for, for hours. <laughs> you and I, great I, about um, uh, restating the things that I've, it's taken me 10 minutes to spew out. So you have a gift um, beyond your um, sex therapy. <laughs> so I, 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 I appreciate that. And, and um, I mean, the, 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 things that that you and the and the other doctors that join us bring to the table are invaluable because there's so many patients out there there's so many just people out there that like are really just trying to make sense of it and and anything that we can do to help people on that journey um you know certainly towards you know resolving the immediacy uh the immediate the immediate struggles that they're having but ultimately just like like living a much more like wholesome life sexually physically health-wise, like we are all for it. So I really, really appreciate you joining us. I will be inviting you back on. Thank you for having me. I would be, I would be thrilled to come back. This has been a pleasure. Like I said, I could go on and get into the weeds, but um, I really appreciate your balance of encapsulation. And I'm, I'm here for any more that you've got. Excellent. Okay. Look forward to having you on, on an episode in the future. 
Thanks for listening to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. For more information on today's topic and understanding how the mind impacts erectile dysfunction, please visit ErectionIQ.com. That's ErectionIQ.com.